Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with Justin Garcia. After the Bucks suffer a rare loss on the road in Indiana, still no Giannis tonight as he has his second straight game off after the birth of his son, Liam. But for Milwaukee, it was a, a really strange night, particularly in the first half. They go down 23 points at halftime, 68 to 45. Uh, that is the biggest deficit they've had at a halftime break since Mike Budenholzer took over as a coach of the Bucks. And you might think that this whole trip was a disaster for me, but it wasn't because uh, I got to taste the delicious, juicy Broncos pizza on the way out to Indiana. And for those that didn't catch the video review, this is a new series between me and Eric Name. It's going to be once a week where we uh, review fine foods on the road. But Justin, it was kind of a strange night, particularly in the first half. Uh, it, it looks like this game could be heading for, I'm not going to say a disaster because I don't think the Bucks now at 46-8 and eight could possibly have a disastrous performance where everyone is still actually healthy and gets through the game. But it was looking like it could be pretty ugly. Um, the first quarter especially was as strange as Broncos slicing their pizza the way they do. <laughs> yeah, I, so... That was, uh, the, that was a spanner in the works, the way they sliced up this pizza. But I, I got to tell you this, honestly, for those that saw the entrance to Bronco's Pizza, um, I'm just thankful that I'm here recording this podcast, to be honest. I, I was trying to think of, um, think back to the Philadelphia game, like, I feel like the first half in this one was just as bad, if not worse. And, I mean, it was similar, but it was really the second half in that Sixers game where it just completely fell apart. In this one, it wasn't just the Bucs. That, that was the frustrating part is in that first half, um, both teams weren't seemingly yeah. that engaged. and It was very sloppy, uh, and yet here were the Bucs down 25 at one point. Yeah, a bunch of unfor- unforced turnovers for Milwaukee in the first half. And, uh, you know, Chris Milton was certainly a, a part of that unusual or uncharacteristic for him, what we've seen this season. A couple of times, he, he just seemed to lose the ball. And he certainly wasn't alone. Uh, but uh, 12 turnovers in the first half for the Bucks, And that's bad in itself to have the 12 turnovers. But the remarkable stat, uh, that the at the or after 24 minutes was the fact that the Pacers scored 27 points off those 12 turnovers, so they were getting more than two points <laughs> per turnover. There was a couple there, four or five, where they they straight away leaked out uh, and got a layup down the other end, and that was really what was keeping the Bucks uh, or extending the deficit for Milwaukee because every time they even uh, managed to get a stop. Or, or managed to to get a turnover themselves because Indiana were not exactly uh, you know all that secure with the ball themselves. Uh, the Bucks just could not capitalize on the other end. And I think tonight we really saw 
the effect of not only not having Giannis because you know that that's going to be a, a big loss for the team, but I think they we we saw where they were missing George Hill, some of those uh, bench lineups they went to, and we, we've spoke about. Um, when you have Dante DiVincenzo as the the nominal point guard in those lineups, I think he's getting better, and I think he's shown improved um, ability to run an offense. But you know, you you don't have that uh, genuine number two point guard, and uh, I think the Bucks were just a little bit out of sort offensively. They didn't seem to be able to get any uh, easy shots, and I think that led to sometimes uh, some uh, interesting choices. Or, or trying to force passes that, that resulted in turnovers. And uh, that's how they dug themselves a hole. Well, and not only that, Dante DiVincenzo was their leading scorer tonight. Right. That I, I know people want Dante DiVincenzo to ascend to levels that maybe he may not reach and that we're certainly encouraged by what Dante has done. But when Dante DiVincenzo is your leading scorer, there's probably a good chance you're not going to win the game. Yeah, I would say that that would be the first time that he's led scoring in his career, if I, if I had to guess. Uh, it equaled a career high with 19 points and uh, 8 for 14 from the field, 3 for 7 from the three-point line. Uh, actually, it's asked him the question after the game about his uh, offensive, what seems to be legitimate improvement in his scoring. Uh, he's, he just said himself, he's just starting to feel more and more comfortable. He's been in the rotation now for uh, over half a season. Remember, he only played uh, that was it 27 or 29 games last year with all the injuries. So uh, that is a, a genuine positive. I agree. I mean, I don't think there's going to be too many times where he's going to lead scoring for the Bucks, but uh, it was a positive. But like I said, the Bucks go down 68, 45 and a half. And you're thinking, okay, it's the all-star break. Uh, the Bucks can't possibly win this game. They can't possibly get back into this game. Are they just going to wave the, the white flag and, and this game will just peter out and there'll be no excitement at all? Well, uh, I, I think we saw what this team, again, is made of, how competitive they are. Uh, they, they really, from the, from the uh, first possession of the third quarter, defensively lifted the intensity. Yeah, I, and I think those notifications are uh, people surprised that Dante DiVincenzo let the team in. <laughs> um, but, it, I mean... We've mentioned a couple of times it's been a tale of two halves for the team, and it's usually not quite this extreme. But when they got it down to four is when you thought, holy crap, they might actually win this game. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Bucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Milwaukee Bucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Milwaukee Bucks fans that are well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to double three triple seven or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get the team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Yeah, no question. So uh, to, to start the third quarter... 
Uh, we see uh, Eric Bledsoe got to the free throw line. Chris Middleton uh, pulls the trigger very quickly from the uh, left corner right in front of the Bucks bench. Swish, 50 to 68. And then what you saw after that, the Bucks were getting stops. And it's interesting. I mean, you, you touch on the fact they got to within four points in the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, this could have, this, that deficit could have been swallowed up a, a lot f- uh, quicker than it did. Because after that, they were getting a bunch of open threes. Wes Matthews missed a three, then Brooke Lopez. Yeah, the uh, same possession, the, the back-to-back misses. The back-to-back misses. And then, and then Bledsoe missed another one. Uh, and then Connaughton missed a layup. This is all before the Pacers have scored a point in the third quarter. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, this was something I, I spoke about on yesterday's pod when I was discussing what the Bucks looked like without Giannis and potentially where they would go in an NBA season. And I said... The problem when you don't have Giannis is you can't just rely on getting those 50 points in the paint. Now, the, the number for the Bucks ended up uh, not looking too bad uh, towards the end of the night, and they, they end up finishing with 42 points in the paint. But at that point, it was out on the perimeter where they needed to make shots and they couldn't have. Uh, potentially, uh, they could have you know, really, really got this game to single digits a lot, a lot faster than they did. And I thought the interesting part, too, was it – seemed like it was Sterling Brown that was the one that ignited them and kind of pried the lid off the basket after that stretch of Bledsoe misses that three on a good look. Brooke Lopez, a wide-open look, misses the three, and the, the shots just weren't falling. And then there was that stretch where Sterling Brown had, I think it was back-to-back baskets, and one of them was that three-pointer where you started to feel like, okay, they're getting stops, and now they're starting to hit shots. We'll see how far they can take this. Yeah, so a, a couple of nice performances from Sterling over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, I, and you know, people that listen to the podcast know, particularly early in the season, I was, I was really high on Sterling. And to a certain extent, I still am. I, I, I just really think that the role that he's been in, um, where the opportunities have been so sporadic for him to get out on the floor and get consistent minutes, some guys struggle with that more than others. And we've seen... Uh, someone like DiVincenzo, who we speak about so often on the podcast, the consistent impact that he's been able to have, and he's really locked himself in the rotation. Sterling hasn't had that. And, you know, even now, like you see this great performance that he's had tonight, but you know if George Hill is playing, you know, maybe all those minutes slide down for all those guys, and then Sterling's a guy that gets squeezed out. I just think he's found it really difficult to be able to, to get out there, feel comfortable, not feel like he needs to force things, not feel like he needs to immediately impress to stay in the rotation. I just think it's a really tough spot to be in. And, you know, I, I think it's no uh, surprise either that um, the, the games that stand out the most for Sterling this year that most of us remember are probably the last two and the other game against the Kings. And those are games right. when the Bucks have gone small a lot. And, yeah. you know, Sterling – before, not before, during early on in the season, we were talking about this too. Uh, his biggest asset was, you know, we've seen Houston obviously take it to extremes, but the way he was playing for a stretch there when the Bucks first started this 18-game win streak and when he and Dante were first inserted back into the rotation, it kind of reminded you of guys like uh, P.J. Tucker and what he was doing in Houston where Bud was playing him essentially as a power forward at times. And, you know, the more you look at Sterling, the more you kind of feel like, Maybe not P.J. Tucker exactly, but that's probably his role in the NBA. He's a guy that's able to play bigger than he is. If he can get that shot to fall consistently, I think the one thing that's still maddening about him, and we saw it early on in the second half for sure tonight and at times tonight, was 
he can just look so uh, I, not confident and uh, really erratic at times, especially when you see him try to finish at the rim. But once he knocks down a couple of shots, and this is probably the case for every player, but Spur- Sterling especially jumps out. Once he sees one or two shots fall, then you start to see more of them come from him. And you know, that's going to be his strength is just a wing player that can rebound at the rate he did. Uh, I remember earlier this season where it was Sterling Brown, DeJounte Murray, and Luka Doncic that were rebounding. Their rebounding rates were the highest in the league for any wing player, and they were at historic levels. That that is going to be ultimately the best way he's used is you know as a guard that you're essentially playing on the front court as a, a power forward at times who can knock down the corner three. Yeah, so this, so this is and, – and again, this is uh, one of those luxuries that you have – uh, with a basketball team that has been so dominant and and still to this point, as we say, 46 and 8, there's going to be good players where the opportunities aren't going to be there. And then it becomes, are you the type of player that can just come in after not playing for five, six games and have that impact? Now, I think you're, you're totally right in the way that Sterling's uh, biggest impact is his physicality, his ability to hit the glass, three offensive rebounds out of his total of eight tonight. And certainly scoring-wise, early in the game, he missed a couple of layups. I don't think they were the easiest opportunities, but uh, this has been something that we've seen drop off a little bit for uh, Brown this season has been his finishing at the rim in the restricted area. So uh, you would like to see him start to make those. He's also not a guy that's played enough that he's not going to get bailed out by the officials. He's not going to get those calls when there's uh, some heavy contact there. And I think maybe he was a victim of that, certainly on one of those early misses. But... Uh, you know, in the third quarter, he, he finishes at the rim and he hits a three. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, when the Bucks were really coming, uh, he cut to the basket for a layup on a, on a beautiful Chris Middleton bounce pass that I think cut it to 82-77. And then he pulled up for another jump shot. So, the, so you know, when the Bucks were at their best, really coming back into this game, Sterling was a major part of that. And he played uh, 22 minutes in the night. I, I do want to get to Ursine eventually. But, uh, you know, as you sort of said, Sterling ties into what the outlook is for Ursan Uyasova right now. And uh, another guy uh, tonight that, that made his first appearance for Milwaukee, Marvin Williams, uh, I thought just really solid. He plays 19 minutes, three for four uh, from the field. He hit a three on a, a nice catch-and-shoot opportunity. Finishes the night with nine points and four rebounds. Uh, one of those rebounds came at an important time in the game hit the offensive glass, uh, was able to quickly get up and put the put the layup in for another two points. Uh, what was your thoughts on Marvin? Because uh, I, I think it was, he was as advertised, defensively solid and offensively not doing too much, but taking what was there for him. Yeah, pretty much everything we expected to see. And I think that uh, the rebound and putback that he had, didn't that take it below 10 points, I think? Yeah, um, it was, it was, I, I know it was when the Bucks were really rolling. Yeah. It, it was interesting to see him and Ursan out there together, too. Uh, you know, it's just the amount of different looks that they can throw out there now with Marvin Williams in the mix that I wouldn't anticipate to see this a lot unless the Bucks are resting guys. But to have Ursan uh, and Marvin out there together, uh, what you can do with Ursan now as maybe this means we see them play smaller more and Ursan takes that role from Robin Lopez depending on the matchups. It's just allows the Bucks to play a lot more matchup-based. And we're saying this for a team that already does that quite a bit because of their depth. But the way Marvin Williams changes that, and I think we've already all started to think about a defensive lineup with Marvin Williams and Giannis 
and Chris in your front court and Bledsoe and whoever it is playing alongside him. So uh, just to see it out there, we all wanted to see, okay, what does Marvin Williams bring to the mix? And, you know, it's basically just that veteran that knows what he's doing. It's, you know, not to disparage here, but it's basically a more athletic Ursan Ilyasova is what you're getting when you heard everything that James Boriego said about him, that uh, Kemba Walker and all of his teammates, every single guy that's played with Marvin Williams has basically said the same things about him. And that's the same thing we were saying about Ursan last year, that you heard what Brett Brown and his teammates in Philadelphia said about what they were missing from Ursan Ilyasova. You hear a lot of the same things said about Marvin Williams. Yeah, and look, there's still going to be some matchups for Ersan, but I think the interesting thing to watch here is that, uh, you know, defensively, Marvin Williams is just more versatile. And this is something we said as soon as the Bucks looked to pick him up. Uh, we know that Ilya Sova is a favorite of uh, yeah, Bucks fans. First of all, he's been around for, for so long, uh, and it's been fun to have him back these last couple of years. But this is going to put some pressure on Bud, and, and is he going to be willing to say, okay, uh, once everyone's back in, in, in the lineup here, Marvin is, is going to be the guy uh, that's going to get those minutes because uh, Ursan plays 19 minutes tonight, uh, as does uh, Williams. Now, you know, you've got a guy named Giannis that's going to come back in and, and play 30 minutes. So who's getting the other 15? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think even tonight you saw that in a perfect world, that might be Marvin Williams. Now, uh, whether or not Bud is willing to do that, we're going to have to wait and see how this pans out. And before I move on again, because we probably should note a couple of the guys on the paces that, that had really big nights, TJ Warren in particular. Well, but, one, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, for DJ Wilson, I just want to say, and I don't want to go into it too much. We've spoken about him a lot and, and where he is at the moment uh, on this Bucks roster. But I always get uh, people through uh, the game will say, oh, can you ask about DJ? What's the deal with DJ Wilson? I just want to say, we have asked about DJ. I certainly asked Bud uh, less than two weeks ago uh, about DJ Wilson, where he's at. Uh, at the moment and whether or not you agree with it you might not I haven't always I thought there's certainly been opportunities where DJ could play but the Bucks have just added Marvin Williams right now uh, I, I just don't really see any way that DJ Wilson's going to play so we have asked Bud about that and Bud said well if there's no minutes there to play him uh, we can't play him so just to throw that out there again we certainly have asked the question and you might not agree with Bud, but that's where it's at right now. And while we don't know what's going to happen next season, we know DJ Wilson has guaranteed money uh, with the Bucks. He's going to be around, you would most uh, likely think, uh, right now and down the stretch, barring uh, some unforeseen circumstance, it just doesn't seem like he's going to play. Uh, you know, I was always in the camp of when, when people were really fretting over this, and I go back to the road game, in Sacramento where it seemed like it really started to pick up more and more momentum of the DJ Wilson stands out there mad that DJ wasn't playing. I, for the most part was of the mindset of there's still more than half of the season left. He's, he's going to get some chances here that Ursan isn't going to play every game. And, you know, we saw what happened in the final 20 games last year where Bonzi Colson was logging some minutes for this team. So you know, DJ will get his opportunities, but, um, the game against the Kings on Monday was probably your telltale sign that you didn't have Giannis. Bud told us before the game, Marvin Williams 
likely will not play unless something drastic happens, and DJ Wilson didn't play at all. All right, so interesting looking at the box score here for the Pacers because we, we know that in, in the rare occasions that the Bucs have lost, you generally look at the three-point shooting and say, oh, okay, uh, this team shot 45% from three. They, they nearly hit a franchise record from the outside. That's how they've won the game. Not the case in this one. The Pacers uh, only attempt 27. They only hit nine. So it's only 33% of their tries from the outside. But there was one guy in particular, TJ Warren, uh, one for two from three, but 15 for 17 from two-point range. He killed the Bucks in the mid-range. Uh, he did not miss the floaters. I mean, we know the Bucks give up these shots. And, uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest, a uh, 15 for 17 shooting night from two-point range is, uh, is pretty remarkable. And, again, even when the Bucks were looking to make that run late in the fourth quarter, he was the guy that kept slowing them down. And we should mention Malcolm Brogdon as well because I thought in the fourth quarter particularly – uh, he made some some big plays that, again, when the Bucks were really trying to get from that four-point margin through to to take the lead, uh, he was a guy that seemed to steady uh, the paces down. And we've seen this guy do this for the Bucks uh, in the past. He's he's been a guy that's hit big shots, and particularly in the fourth quarter. And and look, the Pacers really needed this because this is a team that has blown a bunch of games late. They've, they had lost six in a row coming into this one. Uh, all by single digits, and a couple of those uh, were, you know, really close contests and ones that they had the lead late. So, you know, when you get to the halfway point of the fourth quarter here and the Bucks are within striking range, you're like, well, okay, uh, the Pacers might fold here, but they were able to, uh, you know, withstand that pressure from the Bucks. They're, once the Bucks got back to 86 to 90 down with eight minutes left, uh, Lamb hit a three-point shot, then Warren hit a three-point shot, and and the Bucks weren't able to get back. There was a, a pretty poor shot attempt from Eric Bledsoe uh, that sort of was in between those threes that uh, sort of summed up the night for Bledsoe. He finished a minus 24 on the box score and some some questionable decisions in there. But that was sort of the definitive stretch in this game that, that broke the Bucks. But TJ Warren, you sort of got to tip your hat. That was, uh, that was a hell of a performance. And defensively, I thought he made life really difficult on, on Chris Middleton. He's, he's, he's a big guy. He's long. And Middleton, 6 for 17 from the field. Uh, we haven't seen a night like that from him for a while. He's just been red hot. Yeah, he, he was. He, and it was the floater, too, that just seemed to really yeah. put the Bucks away uh, throughout this game. Uh, and, you know, the, what jumps out to you the most about this game is when you, you look through the box score and see, okay, where did the Bucks? lose this game I mean it comes down to the turnovers in the first half where I think 12 of the 18 turnovers the Bucks had account occurred in that first half and I think the, the Pacers had 27 points off of that they finished with 33 only the fourth time this season an opponent has shot 50 percent or better against the Bucks they're now um uh losses in three of those four games and I think this was uh the highest shooting percentage they gave up as the closest was when the uh, Spurs beat them the second time and shot, I think, 51%. The Pacers were over 52% tonight. But nine three-pointers, the Bucks hit 13. They were 24-25 from the free-throw line, too. That it, it just comes down to how hot they were in the first two quarters and turning all those Bucks turnovers into 30-plus points in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's really remarkable. I mean, we keep talking about this. I know I said earlier in this podcast, the Bucks were within their rights to say, okay, we're down 23 at halftime. We're not coming back in this one. Even at the end of the night, you look, you have your, your two best players 
Uh, and if you want to see your three best players with Middleton, Lopez and Bledsoe, uh, they were 13 for 37 from the field. Uh, the Bucks still managed to put up 111 points, 40 points in the fourth quarter, uh, but they fall short. But uh, again, you know, the Pacers are a team that were desperate to win. They'd lost six in a row. And the Bucks, yeah, you would love them to win. And now they're five and one without Giannis. But, you know, I think what we saw in the second half tonight, again, you would love for the first half not to, not to have occurred. But you just see this team, the competitive nature of this group and their ability to say, we're not just going to go out with a whimper here and go into the all-star break embarrassing ourselves. We're going to come back. We're going to fight. It's going to start on the defensive end. We're going to get back into this game on the road. We're not going to think about where we're going tonight after the game. We're going to think about where our weekend is going to be spent. We're going to try and come back and pull off a, what would have been an incredible win. Uh, they do fall short. But again, you just have to, you, you have to be impressed with this team at their competitive nature. Well, and I think what's most remarkable is we're talking about 54 games. And there's two games that you can point to where you felt like, I'm not going to say there was no effort, but there's two games you can point to where you say they just came out flat. The, the Philadelphia game is not one of them, where it was just Philly came out red hot tonight and the game before the Bucks went to Paris, <laughs> the Martin Luther King Day game against the Bulls, where those were two games where it just felt like, yeah, they know there's a break on the horizon too. That it's happened two times through 54 games. No, no, no doubt. And, and I, I said this after the game. Said they now slumped to an embarrassing forty-six and eight. I mean, let's let's uh, let's really like sit back and think about this a little bit. Uh, this has been a pretty incredible. Uh, you feel like saying first half because the All Star break they say is the halfway mark. Obviously, it's it's well beyond uh, the halfway point of the regular season. But uh, no one could have predicted they would be forty-six and eight. It's uh, things are still going okay, and it was actually fun tonight. I, I know. Uh, a lot of Bucks fans traveled. I don't know whether they were locals or, or fans did travel out for this one, but there was a whole bunch of Bucks fans uh, in in the in the arena tonight, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, and a bunch that said hello to us over there, a bunch of listeners as well. So it's always fun uh, to see those people there. Unfortunately, if that was the one game you get to go to for the year, <laughs> you're pretty unlucky because Bucks losses have become pretty rare. But uh, nonetheless. I think we can all sit back and feel pretty damn comfortable, pretty damn happy about where the Bucks are right now. And we get to All-Star Weekend. I'll be down there on the Saturday and Sunday night. Obviously, Pat Connaughton in the dunk contest, Chris Milton in the skills challenge, and then uh, Giannis and Chris in the All-Star game on Sunday. It should be pretty fun. Like I said, it's been a long time with the All-Star Weekend where there was no Bucks involved, and it was still something that probably a lot of people watch. But now uh, we can watch with interest. And... Pat Connaughton, we'll see. Looks like he's trying to recruit Christian Yelich to do uh, something, something with the dunk contest. Uh, they were 43-14 and 14 at the All-Star break last year. We were very happy with that. So right. what, should, what should we be now? I mean, we were ecstatic with 43-14. and 14 and, <laughs> um, They went, what, 17-8 and eight in their final 25? That now, if they go 21-7, and seven, they set a new franchise record for wins. And... Uh, I know the team tries to distance themselves from it as much as they can, but this team is going to flirt with 70. That just based off what we've seen through these 54 games and winning even on days, you're now 5-1 and one when Giannis doesn't play. Uh, just with how deep they are, 
and you know how bad the East and bottom of the Eastern Conference is, they're going to flirt with 70 wins. Uh, there's just one stretch left on the schedule that it, on paper is really difficult where you have the Raptors, and it's four out of five games are on the road and it includes the Raptors, Sixers, Celtics uh, in that stretch. But this team is going to flirt with it. And <laughs> to think of 54 games, you're 46 and eight, and you just need to go 21 and seven to set a new record for wins in franchise history. And at that point, you're three off of 70. Yeah, I mean, uh, stuff's going to start to get pretty serious now once we come back from the All-Star break. Obviously, the Bucks won't play again until next Thursday uh, in Detroit against the Pistons. I'll see some old friends, a whole bunch of old friends uh, <laughs> with, the, with the Pistons. But yeah, I mean, it's going to start to get serious. And, and while... You, everyone from the outside will be looking at the 70 wins. Uh, you know as well as I do, Justin, uh, Bud is not interested in discussing that. And, uh, you know, I, I think above all else, and that's what I still look at on a night like tonight, uh, again, yes, you would have loved the win, but the biggest thing is you get through healthy, and that is going to be perhaps more important than anything uh, as we head towards the playoffs. And, uh, you know, this, this last game before the All-Star break throws up some funny results. The Raptors saw their winning streak snapped at 15 tonight against Brooklyn. Uh, you know, things could be worse. This is, this is sort of a strange night. And again, like I said, uh, I think you have to take some positives away. Uh, you don't have to ignore the things that went wrong in the first half, but certainly take some positives uh, away from the second half. But uh, listen, we do have one more podcast before the All-Star break. That will be tomorrow. We'll probably look at All-Star weekend a little bit there and, and go from there. But uh, I, I'm at the hotel now in Indianapolis and, and, and the bar, the hotel bar, unfortunately um, was closed when we got back. So I'm surprised I've been able to get through this podcast because I'm, I'm parched. I, I'm after a hard night work. I, I needed a beer and they let me down. I would just offer this up too, that I would imagine we're going to see a lot more than the usual crew covering this team in the second half <laughs> of the season, especially if, as we said, they're going to flirt with 70 wins. So if you're a uh, reporter from the outside that is coming to cover this team, uh, there are two things to focus on when you ask Mike Boonholzer questions. Number one, will his team win 70 games or is it on your mind? And number two, ask him something about an opposing player. And three, listen to Lockdown Bucks to, to keep <laughs> up uh, with, with everything that's happening. But no, you're right. Uh, we, we enjoy that, though, because we enjoy the short, sharp reactions from Bud uh, when he gets frustrated by uh, – questions that he's had to answer 75,000 times throughout the rest of the season but all right let's wrap it up you're still at the studio you probably want to want to want to get out of there but uh i appreciate you joining me again we know it's not going to be for the last time but uh we like i said we'll be back tomorrow preview all-star weekend and then uh we get stuck into the second half of the season as the bucks maybe make a run for 70 but most importantly, make a run towards the playoffs. So they go down tonight to the Pacers, 118-111, now on the season. Still comfortably in the lead at the top of the East. But for Justin Garcia and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.